Uh, it's a privilege to be here this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity, not that uh, Pastor Chad was sick, um, but just that he thought of uh, asking, asking me to step in and, and to serve in this way. It's a privilege to present the Word of God uh, to you. We have, I believe, probably over 10 years, maybe 15 years, um, have either attended uh, on vacation or uh, I've met with Pastor Jim over the years. He's, he's encouraged us in our ministry um, and uh, just been to different activities, Bible conferences that you've had here. And so the ministry of, of this church has been a blessing to me, and so I'm thankful to be able to serve in this way today. Uh, we're glad to be here, uh, my family. Um, we got up a little earlier than we normally do. It's an hour and a half drive, but uh, we had some great worship in the, in the van on the way on the way down and uh, repaired our hearts, and it was, it's always fun to hear the kids sing and, and listen to some songs and, and just prepare that way. So we're, we're delighted to be here. I have a message uh, this morning that um, I've always been told, preach so that you cannot be misunderstood. Well, I'm, I'm kind of condensing a series this morning uh, into one message, and so it may, may be hard to follow. I hope not. Um, but the focus is, is worship. So if you don't hear anything else, the focus is on worship. And really I want, what I want to center in on is the nature of worship and the type of worship that God is looking for. Um, in our culture today, our society, the world in which we live, uh, Satan will use all kinds of things to draw us away from worshiping God. Two of the, two of the instruments or tools that I think he uses the most, um, and they're pr- pretty self-explanatory. Uh, one is suffering. And I don't have to say a lot about that, but, but Satan likes to use suffering uh, to pull our worship away from God because what it does is it gets, it gets our eyes on ourself, on our problem, uh, to resolve whatever's going on, whether it's conflict or pain, physical, emotional, whatever it is. And it can, it can draw us away from God. Sometimes even stir up some anger or discouragement or resentment in our hearts toward God. And the second tool or instrument that I think uh, he often uses is, is pleasure. Suffering and pleasure. Uh, I don't have to say a lot about pleasure uh, because you understand that, right? We all have desires and things that we long for. You probably got up this morning before you even got out of bed. Something came into your mind uh, whether it was a, a problem or an issue or something that you want or a joy that you have or something you're looking forward today. Um, and, and there's pleasures all around. And they're not bad, but oftentimes Satan will use those and, and go after our appetites and draw us away from God. And, and we can, at times, at moments, ignore Him. And we see this show up in different conversations uh, in our lives uh, as we raise our families as we work, when we don't get those things, our hearts kind of explode and, and are revealed. Uh, what, what we really long for in those moments. And so there's moments uh, that, that we are worshiping the wrong things. And I'm just as guilty as everyone out here this morning. And so I need, I need this message first and foremost. And um, uh, I want to be a true worshiper. I want to be a worshiper that God is looking for, one that pleases Him, one that glorifies Him, that, that magnifies Him the way that He deserves. We heard this morning that He's worthy of our worship. 
It says in Revelation 4 that, that God is, is worthy of all worship and praise. Uh, this morning, uh, to begin, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to hit a few passages just to kind of whet our appetite about worship, and then we will uh, settle in in Philippians chapter 1 and touch on the kind of the nature of, of worship from the heart. Revelation 21, starting in uh, verse 9. John here has a vision. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. And so he's exposed to this scene, this wonderful, glorious scene. And then I want you to turn over to chapter 22. Verse 6, and he says, He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servant what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Those two words are are just powerful. Uh, When you think of what John saw, and we're familiar with the phrase, don't kill the messenger, right? Well, here the messenger is saying, don't worship the messenger. I'm just carrying to you the message from Christ, from God. He is the one to be worshipped. And so this morning, our, our focus is going to be, um, what does that mean for us? How can I do that? How can I be a worshiper that God is looking for and, and please and magnify His great name? Let's pray as we... As we uh, Think about that this morning and continue to reflect on God's Word. Father, we, we are in Your presence thanking You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who You freely sent to this earth to die for our sins. And in Christ we have found hope everlasting. We have found peace. We have been restored, reconciled to You our Creator. We're so grateful for Jesus Christ this morning, for all that He means for us, all that He has accomplished for us. And we pray, Lord, that as we meditate on Your Word today and as we think about worship, Father, may we be worshiping You from a heart that is satisfied fully in Christ for Your honor and for Your glory. Father, may we, as the psalmist said, come and worship and bow down. Kneel before You, the Lord, our Maker. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My wife and I were in uh, Texas early on in my Bible college experience, and we found ourselves 
living on crumbs and uh, pennies and saving everything that we had. We weren't working a lot, but just enough to get by. We spent a semester down there, and um, we found ourselves just kind of desperate emotionally, physically, financially. We were in a place where we just we needed God to do something to show up, and and um, we recognized that, and we we didn't know what to do. Do we just leave and forfeit the half of a semester that that I put in? Or do we stay? What, what do we do here? We're just drying up and we're withering on the vine. And, and so we decided to get up on a Saturday morning and walk down to a little park that was just down the road from where we were staying and, and just pray. And we spent some time there praying. And, and um, I think in our, our lack of faith, not really expecting anything to change. Just God change our our hearts, right? Change our, our perspective. Just do in us what, what only you can do and teach us what you want us to learn in this moment of kind of desperation. And, and, uh, we were, we were hungry and we were, my wife was pregnant, newly pregnant with our oldest son at the time. And, uh, so we would, I would go through a, a, get a dollar burger and then take her to a buffet. Uh, about every other day and let her just pick out. Um, you can't tell she's still thin and gorgeous. And, um, but just to get by, we would do whatever we had to do. And we spent that time praying and, and really calling on the Lord, knowing that He was able and powerful and, and, and that He was with us and cared for us. But I think inside of us, there was a little bit of us that that just lacked the faith to really believe God was going to do anything, but yet we prayed because we knew that's that's what we needed to do. And it was about a half a mile down the road, and we we were walking back, and uh, we we had rented a room from a, a a teacher, a school teacher, and we got back to the house. There was a box on the porch that had been dropped off by the UPS, and we didn't think a whole lot of it. And uh, kind of walked around the and went inside, did some things, and just kind of went out and noticed the box, and our name was on it. And so we brought it in, and we opened it up, and there was it was a big box. There was food and money, and it was it was just enough food and just enough money to get us through the semester. And it was a, an amazing gift of God. And that that moment, what happened in our hearts was worship. We cried, we hugged, we we praised God and we just worshiped him in that moment. We were so grateful for what what he had done. The box wasn't addressed, we don't know who it came from. And so he took away the temptation that John had to worship the giver, right? The messenger. We don't even know who it was, who to thank, but I've shared this um, multiple times throughout my ministry um, we know it was it was God. And we began to think about all that had to take place for that box to end up on the doorstep in between the time that we walked to the park, prayed, and then came back. Just for, for, it, for it to be delivered at that moment, what took place that day for the UPS driver to deliver it in that moment, and then what took place in the heart of somebody to get together some food and money and to package it and to, and to take it to the UPS store and to send it to us. Um, 
If they're anything like me when I send something, it's not sent the day you think of it, right? You think of something and then you kind of put it off. And Well, God orchestrated all of that, um, that mercy and grace that He did in our lives to show us that He is powerful and He's worthy in that moment. And that's, that moment has carried through uh, our marriage, so much of our marriage. And time and time again, God in His grace and in His mercy, He has, he has not because we deserve it, but because of who He is, He has shown us when we're weak, once again, He's merciful. He's full of grace. He cares. He knows. And He provides. And so, I share that with you this morning uh, because... Um, our hearts are prone to wander, aren't they? Our, pro- our hearts are prone to worship, worship other things. Our hearts are, are prone to get discouraged as we were in that moment. Uh, to not yearn for Christ and to be fully satisfied in Him no matter what the, the circumstance of our day and our moment. And so I'd like you to turn back with me just to get a little bit of context for where we're, where we're headed in Philippians. If you want to turn back uh, to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. The context here Jesus is speaking to the woman of Samaria, and uh, she says, We'll jump to verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus responds to her, uh, talking about worship. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is... Isn't that an amazing statement? The Father is seeking worshipers. Does He need our worship? No. But He desires it, doesn't He? There's something about that that, that brings Him glory and that He is seeking for people who are, who are worshiping in him, him in spirit and truth. It's not so much about the location or the activity of, of what's going on today, but, but the heart. Jesus says in, again in Matthew 15 that the, the, this people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me. And so worship that does not come from the heart is empty. It's, it's not really worship. That's the essence of what Jesus said. And so, what does the heart of worship look like? And I think Paul helps us with this in Philippians Chapter 1. If you want to turn there for uh, the remainder of our time, Philippians chapter 1. I don't, I don't have a watch and on my phone. I don't see a clock up here, so uh, someone's going to have to yell out. My wife usually helps me with that, but um, we're going to go till we're done. Okay, does that work? Okay. All right. Again, this is a, a series wrapped up together in one, in one message. So, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Paul pours out kind of his goal in life and living. And it has to do with worshiping God with his body. Start at uh, verse 19. For I know that 
through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Honored, exalted, glorified. That's the word that that we're looking at here. He is going to be lifted high in my body. That's, That's Paul's full courage here. That Christ, whether by life or by death, and that's a fascinating statement. Whether whether I live or die, the the goal is that in my body Christ would be glorified, that He would be exalted, that He would be made high, and that's our desire. I hope that's your desire this morning, that you have come in your heart throughout the week. Your your life has been about exalting Jesus Christ, your Savior, and that you're here this morning. Uh, to, to worship together, to gather together corporately, uh, to do that with brothers and sisters in Christ, is to, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ and to make Him known and, and to be honored in our bodies, whether by life or death. There's a connection here. The next verse, it ties to uh, verse number 20. And he says, uh, for, and that word can also mean because, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he connects the, the living and the dying, for Christ is to be exalted. That's my desire in life or death. How can that be? How can my life be about exalting Jesus Christ? Because to live in my life, He's exalted. Because when I live, I live to Christ. How can He be exalted in death? Through my body. Because He says here, to die is gain. That's a fascinating statement. It's, it's all about Christ, isn't it? Worship is all about Christ. It's all about Him. And that's what Paul is, is saying here, that he is wanting to make it. It's not about what's going on in the world. It's about what's going on in my heart and how my heart is responding to my Savior, to Jesus Christ. And that plays out in the circumstances of life. The responses to the relationships that we have. Our parenting, our marriages, our relationship to our parents, our teachers, our coworkers, our boss, our employees, whatever, whatever that is, whatever job title that you hold, whatever role that you have in this life, your relationship and your view of Jesus Christ, your value of Jesus Christ in your heart, is connected to whether or not you will or are able to glorify Him in your body, whether you live or whether you die. Let's look at those words for just a moment. Um, I love that phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, He goes on in verse 22, "If, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet uh, which shall I choose? I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart or, or to die and to be with Christ, for that is far better. And so he identified dying as gain. And in this verse, he says dying or to depart is, is better. It's far better to depart from the body than it is to live because that would glorify Christ. 
Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so how is it that, that Paul is able to glorify Christ in his body whether he lives or whether he dies? How can I glorify Christ in my body? How can my life be a, a, really a living sacrifice of worship to Jesus Christ? If you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, for those of you who do, who are trusting Him for the forgiveness of your sin, I know that you want to please Him because of what He has done in you. He's made you a new creature, right? The old is gone, the new has come. What is new? It is, it is to know Him and to make Him known. It, it's to be intimate with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to glorify Him. And so, what, is, what does Paul mean here uh, in death? Let's just look at this for, for just a moment. Um, Verse 23, it says, I am hard-pressed. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. How do we glorify Christ in our body? In life and death. And at death, how do I glorify Him? Because I see death not as a loss of everything I've accumulated, a loss of a relationship that I've established for years, a loss of, of possessions, a loss of power, prestige, whatever it is. But it's a gain. And what is that gain here? Paul says, because when I die, I'm what? I'm with Christ. I'm with Him. I'm, I'm in His presence. And that's, that's a gain to Him. And so, so death the body to glorify Christ is to have a heart that is centered about being satisfied with Christ even to the point of death. And, and even death itself is more than life. It's more of an exaltation to our Lord and Savior because it's a fulfillment and all that, all that He's done for us. He came and He laid down His life for us so that we might live and spend eternity with Him. And death begins that process, doesn't it? It begins that, that eternal state of being with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so at the heart of it, it's, it's this, this heart of yearning to be with Christ. And that's what, what Jesus said God is, is seeking. Not people that just worship with their lips, but people who worship from the heart. That's who I desire. That's who I seek after. And this is how we do that. That's what that experience looks like. It can only happen through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It can only happen when we see Christ as most valuable. Turn over to, to Philippians chapter 3. If you would, Paul gives us a fascinating uh, statement here in chapter 3 of Philippians. 
starting at verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I accumulated in this world, I was confronted with Jesus Christ and I recognized that He is more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. That's what Paul was confronted with. That's what each one of us are confronted with. Am I going to run after Christ? Am I going to accept Him? Am I going to allow Him to be at the control center of my life? Do I need Him? Or am I going to keep doing this on my own? Am I going to look to the world? Am I going to say, no, I I can't give that up. I don't want to give this up. I love that too much. Paul goes on to identify for us, indeed, I count everything as loss in verse 8 because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord? That's the question because Paul's longing here, his statement is that he has found Jesus Christ. He had an experience with Jesus Christ that opened his eyes, that made him say a statement like this, that nothing compares to the surpassing value or worth of having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're being confronted right now with a decision, a choice, aren't you? Is Jesus valuable to me? Is, is, is there something about Jesus? Most of you have probably been in this church. You've heard the Gospel message. You've been coming for... I'm going to assume, probably shouldn't do that, but most of you have attended this church more than one other time. This isn't your first... Is anybody first time here this morning? Okay, there's one. So I'm not going to assume. <laughs> Alright? Um, most of you have heard. Most of you. Is Jesus valuable? Have you come? Have you worshipped Sunday after Sunday? Sang the songs? Memorized the Scripture? Served at church? But yet God would look into your heart and He would say, you are far from Me. That Jesus Christ is not important, is not valuable to you. What's valuable to you are are all of the other things, are your possessions, your relationships, your job title, your entertainment. Getting through your suffering. All of these other things that can come before Christ. Paul says, I have found that Jesus Christ is most valuable. And I would echo that statement. I have found, Ben Fox, I have found that Jesus Christ is most valuable. There's nothing this world has to offer that is more valuable than Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that's the heart that God is, is looking for, isn't He? He's looking for a heart that is most satisfied in Jesus Christ. And Paul gives us a great example of that. And apart from Christ, we can't begin to, to do that, right? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix up my life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing this. I'm gonna start coming to church. I'm gonna start worshiping God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
love my wife better. I'm going to raise my kids more faithfully. I'm not going to get angry at work or at home. And We can't clean ourselves up, can we? That's why Christ is so valuable because we need Him to, to come in and cleanse us and to reconcile us. And I thought for a moment I was going to have a, a great illustration because when I heard the church was splitting, I thought, you know what? This idea of reconciliation, I can use this because that's what God does and we're to be ministers of reconciliation. Bringing people to Christ because He brings us to God. But I'm thankful that wasn't the case. <laughs> I'm thankful that, that that's not necessary. I'm thankful that this church is united and that, that you're here together worshiping God. And I'm here to encourage you to keep Christ at the center of all that you do in your homes, in your church, at the workplace, with your relationships, in the hospital, whatever it is. Satan is going to be there to try to draw your heart away, to discourage you, to stir up anger in your heart, to get you to doubt God and to question Him. Is, does He care? Does He hear me? Is He listening? Is He able? Paul makes it clear for us that He is. He is. And for those of you who have trusted Christ and walked for any amount of time, with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that God is able. But there are moments. There are moments that we live like He's not, isn't it? Maybe this morning, getting ready for church was a moment that you were you expressed <laughs> that God wasn't most valuable to you. Under a time crunch, or couldn't find the right clothes, or didn't know what to wear, or just this morning, just walking into the building. Maybe your heart wearing a mask or thinking about what's going on in our world. Your heart was stirred towards frustration or anger or discouragement or whatever it might be. Those are moments that God gives us to call us back to Him. To recognize that, you know what? I fail time and time and time Again, and Jesus isn't always at every moment, in every relationship, in every conversation, most valuable to me. And it's a reminder to us the value of Jesus Christ. He always was. In every conversation that Jesus had, He always had a heart that pleased His Father. Even when He was going to the cross in the garden, Sweating drops of blood. If there's any way, if there's any other way, yet not my will, but Your will be done. To the point of death, Jesus glorified the Father. He did that for us. So that when we fail, in those moments we do get angry, those moments we do get frustrated and discouraged, all is not lost, is it? It's a reminder of how valuable Jesus Christ is. He is the only one who always did this. And so we trust in Him. And we live a life, whether we live or die, we live to please Him. And really quickly, I want to close with, with two results of, of, of living. That was the death. Now living, what does it look like to live for Him? 
He says in verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That living is, is no longer just for me, but it's for others. That's what glorifying Christ is all about. A life that is centered around uh, valuing Jesus Christ, about worshiping Jesus Christ in our, our daily pursuits in life. As Paul says in Romans 12.1, that, that our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. Everything that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do to the glory of God. That this life is about others. And Paul here is saying that, that to remain is more necessary on your account. Convicted of this, verse 25, I know that I will, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's life of valuing Jesus Christ meant that others would receive the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. We use a word today in church called discipleship, right? And that's really what Paul is saying here, that my life is poured out for you so that as I live, this is my life I'm living for you, that Jesus is living through me. Verse, verse 11 in chapter 1, he's praying that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's not the fruit that, that Paul stirs up and that he's able to bring to others but that fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ would be filled in the lives of those whom He touched because He was living, valuing Jesus Christ above all else. And when we live that way, others are benefited. That's what, that's what this is all about. Verse 26, He summarizes, so that in Me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Notice that in my body to live is, is to, to benefit other people. Why doesn't God just remove us as Christians? Because He's got a home and eternity for us. We're saved. Why doesn't He just pluck us up and take us away? Because He's got a plan and a purpose here. And it involves our lives being poured out for others. And so now, I have seen the surpassing value of, of Jesus Christ in my own life. And I'm going to live in a way so that you might experience that as well and have cause to glory in Christ Jesus, to worship. And we, we stand here in part today because Paul did that. right? He wrote these letters and we get to read them and, and, and think on them and meditate on them and model them. And glory in Christ. Glory in Christ. I want to turn in closing to one more passage. I quoted it. It's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 and verse 31. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And if you turn to 2 Corinthians, verse 31 is not there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So, <clears throat> Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Notice that. There it is again, right? Paul, valuing Jesus Christ in His life, in His body, living for others, right? I give no offense. I try to please everyone in everything that I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but the advantage of many. Why? So that they might be saved. Now think about this in closing for just a moment. We're familiar with the Great Commission, right? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. I'm excited that you're having a baptismal baptismal service. That's part of the Great Commission. And Paul has just said a life, a life that, that lives in worship to God has two results. One is the benefit of others. That others get to know Jesus Christ, they get to experience Him, and they grow, and they glory in Jesus Christ. That's part of the Great Commission. That's the, the teaching, the baptizing, the discipling aspect. But he also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that whatever I do, I do to the glory of God. What does that mean? That my life, I don't just live for me, but I live for others. And when I do that, it's for their advantage, the advantage that some might be saved. Part of the Great Commission. As you go. As you live. As you go to work. Tomorrow. As you wake up. As you go to bed, talk to your spouse, communicate about the week. As you raise your children, as you respond to your parents in obedience and respect, as you go to school, whatever you do, you live to the glory of God. The Bible assumes that we're going to go, we're going to live, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. As we do that, as we go, make disciples. Live in a way that people would see your reflection of the glory of Jesus Christ so that some might be saved and glory themselves. Do you savor Jesus Christ as most valuable this morning? We're going to close with a song. There's going to be an opportunity for you to come forward. Maybe there's something in your life that you have been savoring more than Jesus Christ that you just want to have somebody pray with you. Maybe for the first time you've been confronted with the value of Jesus Christ and you're like, man, I, I want that, right? I want to know Christ in that way. I want to see Christ in a way that everything else is like rubbish. You come this morning, somebody will be here to pray with you, to encourage you as we sing. I just want to close in prayer for you. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank You for the privilege of knowing Him by faith. And that You are so gracious to us, so patient with us, so willing to forgive and extend a cleansing that we need by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, stir our hearts this morning. Encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Ben, for that word about worship. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Those are the words of Jesus. And who's sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? Is it Jesus? Is Jesus the most valuable? Is he the most important thing in your life? To live as Christ and to die is certainly gain. I know in my own life there have been many times, especially during these times, where I have longed to be with the Savior. But the Lord has a reason for each and every one of us to be here, as our brother told us this morning, and that is to reach someone who doesn't know him, that doesn't have that assurance of salvation. So I encourage us to not grow weary in our well-doing, but that we would continue and that we would press forward and that we would love others the way that Christ has commanded us to, that they may come to know him and go and be with him on that glorious day. We're going to now close our service. Um, Thank you, sister, for coming forward. And any others who have business to do with the Lord, you don't necessarily have to walk up here to do that. The Lord is ever-present. And he hears the cries that you have for him. Thank you, Brother Ramon. Let's close our service and sing, My Tribute to God Be the Glory. Mm-hmm.